welcome to the month end of CPG Community Chat. The month end will provide emerging CPG brands real life knowledge into the accounting, finance, and operational worlds. Our guests will be key stakeholders from those same brands as well as other key contributors to the industry, all of which have vast experiences and insights that will be shared with the audience. Welcome to the month end, episode 19. Today we have Jordan Buckner of Food Bevy. How are you doing today, Jordan? Doing great, Brad. All right. Jordan is the founder of Food Bevy, which is an online community for food and beverage founders to help take businesses from startup to scale. Additionally, Jordan has some background as um, a founder of a CPG brand. So he has a lot of CPG experience and we're looking forward to chatting today on those items. So um, Jordan, while we uh, kind of get started here, can you give us a little background of, you know, CPG industry, what you've been up to, like, and what Food Bevy is, and then we'll get into the conversation um, in more details. Definitely. So I have the honor of working with hundreds of food and beverage founders right now and helping them grow from those early startup days to scaling their businesses and helping overcome the challenges um, to do so. I'm a previous CPG founder myself, ran the brand T-Squares, which is a line of energy bars for six years um, and been through you know, the gauntlet of building the brand, everything from creating the brand identity, recipe, managing, operations, cash flow, um, everything in between raising investment rounds, um, having a Kickstarter campaigns on Whole Foods, right? The entire gamut and learned a lot about that experience. And so now I'm just here to help other founders make this journey of starting a company a little bit easier. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. There's, uh, you know, what you guys do over at Food Bevy plus a lot of great resources that exist is let's not create the wheel, <clears throat> recreate the wheel in, in the space. Um, and let's just kind of, you know, be better as a, as a community. So I'm looking forward to this. So let's start with your, uh, you know, the, the brand that you founded. And I kind of want to just chat about some experiences that you had. So kind of, uh, you know, using the, you know, accounting finance operations aspect of what we're talking about, what was the biggest challenge you had as a CPG founder, like as you look back now on the entity or on the business and, and that experience, like what was what was the biggest challenge? Oh my gosh. So a couple of things. I think starting the business without any previous kind of CPG experience was a huge learning curve. Um, and personally, I'm the type of individual that likes to learn everything myself and honestly holds onto things for way longer than I probably should. So for the course of an entire business, I did all of our bookkeeping, all of our accounting, um, finance, running reports, doing uh, market analysis, pretty much everything on the finance side of it, except for actual, our, our tax preparation, right? Mm -hmm. And so having my hands in everything, I loved it because I got to understand really the nitty gritty of the businesses, but also there are a lot of things that I missed that because I wasn't an expert in, you know, as an example, a little bit further along in our business, we were selling with a national distributor and, you know, we would get chargebacks from them. And, you know, I was kind of just adding them into our QuickBooks and saying like, oh, you know, it's just part of the business, but I really wasn't accounting for them correctly. And when I finally sat down and looked at all the numbers over six months, we had chargebacks valued at 30% of everything that we sold that client, which was our entire margin, right? And we ended up barely breaking it, if not losing money, because we didn't have good insight into how our financials were working with that client. So I say all that, right? Like by doing myself, there was a huge number of gaps that um, I didn't even know we had. Yeah, the old uh, deduction kickback trade spend on the, on the big national distributors is always a nightmare story for uh 
new CPG, you know, founders are even getting into that sales channel. Um, it's always on sales calls with clients that are like, by the way, do you do this? Do you do that with deductions? Because it's just, you hear it and it's it's not fair to small businesses, but it's the space in the industry and hopefully it changes over time. Um, what was your experience with fundraising? Um, good and bad. So our very first fundraising round happened a couple months after starting the business. I was actually doing a demo at Whole Foods and an individual, uh, Mike Kaplan from Spiral Sun actually came up and he's like, hey, we're, uh, I like the product. He like brought over his, um, I think his like sisters in town, like to try it. And he was like, hey, we're starting an investment fund. This is really great. You're local. He liked our story. And a couple, like a month later, they ended up investing in us, which is our first fundraising round, which is like, oh, great. This is awesome. Right. So, you know, at the time we were like super early, we we're only doing $10,000 in sales. So like at the very beginning. And so it was great to have someone believe in us. Um, but then I've also had on the other side where we went out to do fundraising rounds and talked to 30, 50 investors um, and got nothing, right? Like no one was really, everyone, well, I shouldn't say no, everyone was like, oh, this is like really cool. Come back in a couple of months or let me know when you hit this milestone, um, but couldn't close those deals. And so had the entire kind of both sides of it and learned a lot in the process in terms of what worked and what didn't. You know, we had a Kickstarter campaign that we ran a couple of years ago and met our goal. I think we brought in just under $12,000 from that enough to kind of kick off a production run for a new product launch. So, um, yeah, you know, definitely had interesting experience in doing both of those routes. What was your supply chain like? Did you, uh, you know, turnkey co-packer? Was it, you know, a nightmare? A, 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 was it a nightmare? <laughs> and uh, and it, it was, was our own fault. It was What's our own that? fault because when creating T-squares, we were thinking about, we, we didn't understand supply chain and what manufacturers were actually out there in the space. So the way that we designed our squares, if you look them up there, kind of like one by one inch um, squares, and we would pack those into like a pouch. But the way that our formula was designed is we could only manufacture those using what's called a rotary molder, which a lot of times you'll see for like cookie designs, but it's actually rare for like energy bar, protein bar space. And so there were very few manufacturers in the US who actually could produce that. And so when we started off making ourselves in a commercial kitchen, actually went to a metal fabricator and um, fabricate our own molds for the shape. And that should have been the first warning sign that this was going to be more difficult. Um, when we got to a certain point, we tried working with a, a co-manufacturer that had a um, slab method, which essentially is you put the mix on the conveyor belt and it presses it down and cuts it. But because of our mixture and the recipe, it wouldn't work. Um, we kind of like hacked together a solution, but then it was expensive to make for them. So when they got an order for like a million bars from another customer, they basically booted us out. And at the time we were selling in Whole Foods, we actually went out of stock with one of our SKUs because we didn't have a way of manufacturing it. So eventually had to bring it back in-house, tried another manufacturer a year later, who is a multi-million dollar manufacturer. That didn't work because they didn't have the right equipment, went back to making it in-house ourselves. And so we've been on this constant journey. And when we um, closed the business, we were still making it ourselves in our own facility. Yeah, the old uh, supply chain inventory that can uh, be your biggest advantage or your biggest, you know, disadvantage um, across the space. So, um, so it sounds like the experiences that you're, you know, that you went through with T squares related to, you know, accounting, finance, fundraising, inventory, like really has has led you to the uh, the new venture, Food Bevy. 
No, that's exactly right. And, you know, we didn't make every mistake, but we made a lot of mistakes. And I want to help others learn from that to say, hey, here are the different paths, right? There's not one way to be successful in this industry. There's dozens, but here are some of those paths so you don't have to reinvent the wheel, like you mentioned, um, and things to avoid. And the biggest thing is really talking to brands, helping them um, begin with the end in mind. So understanding where they want to go with their business, how they want to get there, and what are the steps in between so that you know those challenges from the beginning and can choose either to avoid them or purposefully um, take them on. The worst is when you get into a situation where you're like, oh, I had no idea this would be an issue, right? That's where your business has problems. Yeah. So then, you know, when, when did the, uh, the food bevy, you know, light bulb go off? Like, when did you like, you know what, I, I, I think there's an opportunity here. So I actually have been working with founders for the last like four years, just on and off. We put together just informal founder groups while I was still running Food Bevy and it was fun. But then the business kind of got in the way or got in everyone's way of kind of dividing up time. And so about two years ago, when things were winding down with um, T-squares because of the pandemic, I was looking to understand how to make an impact in founders' lives and what I wanted to do. And I realized I loved being in the space, working with other founders and helping them. And so launched the platform really as a resource hub for founders. We have a directory of industry providers on there, experts, DIY articles. And then we also have founder communities where founders can talk to each other and our expert partners. And that's really taken off really just as a way to connect founders to one another. So then who's your like core, who's the core founder, like the, the target founder, like the target business yeah. or brand? The ones taking the most advantage tend to be about 200K to 4 million in sales um, who are, you know, one to five person teams. So they can't, they're doing everything themselves and are looking for help. And then within there, we have a couple of different groups. Some founders are more interested in like doing more things themselves. And so, you know, we have resource guides on, you know, how to do Facebook ads and set those up and manage those on your own. But then we also bring in partners. So like accountfully as a partner to say like, Hey, you need help with finance, accounting, with some deduction management, right? Instead of doing this yourself and making mistakes that I did work with someone who knows all the ins and outs and works with dozens of brands so that you've seen everything that can happen. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, definitely a great resource kind of community hub for uh, connecting people with different industry leaders across accounting, finance, ops, marketing, etc. Um, what has been your like biggest, uh, your biggest, your, your proudest moment so far of Food Bevy? Ooh, proudest moment. We've done a lot of work in amplifying and helping out um, founders from disadvantaged and under-resourced areas. And so we work a lot with minority-owned founders, women-owned um, companies um, to really provide them a resource uh, to help their businesses, which are typically fairly, um, you know, they have uh, additional challenges that they face. And, you know, as a Black founder myself, I've seen a lot of experiences too, and it's where, um, you know, I had to overcome networking challenges and funding challenges that others, you know, had an easier time doing so. And so that's one thing that we do. So we've had partnerships with say Instacart, where we were able to provide, it was like $20,000 in advertising credits to brands who were um, to black owned brands to be able to help them succeed. And that was just really great in getting essentially free money and resources into their pockets so that they were able to um, really start scaling their advertising and growth for their business. And so kind of bringing together opportunities like that, where we're actually helping people make or save real money is huge. Right. What, is, what do you, um, 
what do you think is the biggest improvement opportunity for the CPG industry itself from the for the zero to five million or the zero to four million dollar brands? Whew. you know that's a that's a tough one. The biggest area is around I think fundraising and capital to start their business, and I say that because a lot of you know, food's interesting because it has very low barriers to entry. Um, you know, everyone eats, so everyone has experience with food. And so it's very easy for someone to have an idea and get into the industry. But many of them don't know or don't have the funding possible or necessary to really grow their business. And so I think one education around how much money is necessary to get business to a certain point um, and then where that money can come from and how to build a business. I think the other challenge in the industry is that we've taken a lot of the um, growth ideas from Silicon Valley of NVC firms, where it's, hey, you need to start your business, grow nationally, become a $100 million brand, and then sell all within five years. And obviously, like, not everyone's going to do that. Most people aren't. And so I've become a big proponent of building a profit first business, where you're actually building a self-sustaining business. And that instead of gambling on some, you know, 1% chance of an exit at some point, you actually built your business to be profitable from day one as much as you can, um, so that you can have small gains and small wins every single year. Love that. Um... And couldn't agree more with those kind of answers there. So um, recently you did a survey um, via, you know, Food Bevy that uh, you sent out to CPG brands. I'm sure people that are all involved in the community and stuff. And you sent out or you kind of compiled a state of the CPG food and beverage industry survey, which was kind of neat to read. So can you kind of highlight um, some of the, 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 the insights that you gained from the survey? Definitely. So it was a fun survey. Um, we were able to uh, reach about I think, 67 emerging brands for that. And we asked them questions around fundraising, sales, and kind of investment. And a couple of things kind of stood out from that. I think one, we realized and from that about 67% of the companies surveyed were not profitable. And they have been around for at least like a year or two, which leads to this very high investment-minded um, growth area within CPG. And within those, I think another thing is like how much uh, money it takes to start a brand. We found that 58% of the companies had invested over $50,000 of their own money to actually start and launch the brand. And about 23% of those actually invested over $200,000 of their own money to launch a brand which is kind of wild when you think about those barriers to entry to, um, to get started. Yeah, I know. And it's interesting because the barriers to entry have never been easier now, especially with the internet, right? And direct to consumer, but there's a ton of different challenges of actually having people buy your product and consistently come back as returning customers. So um, <clears throat> what about, uh, was there any kind of information there or just some pure kind of operations or inventory management? Well, one thing we looked at were things like, um, margins. And so, you know, when we looked at across the board, the gross average gross margin was about 30 to 40% of their sales kind of before mm -hmm. trade spend. Um, but it was also interesting is like some of the brands had like a 10% gross margin, uh, which is really challenging. And then others had a, I think there were like, you know, two that had like a 70 to 80% gross margin, which definitely is able to help set you up for success. 
Um, and then a lot of the companies were also working with or selling on um, e-commerce on their own site. And so the other thing that's been big recently are like customer repeat rates so that you can understand your growth and your customer loyalty. And the majority of the companies there had about a 20 to 30% um, e-commerce repeat rate, which I think was, um, you know, is probably in line with what's the case in, in Food and Bev. Um, but also, I think there's a lot of room for improvement there as well as companies begin to really focus on that as a source of growth instead of constantly finding new customers. Yep, definitely. Yeah. And in the, the back to the margin kind of, uh, you know, extremities or the variance, I think uh, in seeing a lot of inventory based clients and specifically in the CBG world, like you do see different ways of calculating gross margin across different founders and, you know, and, and, and brands and, you know, where they come from or, or their consultants. So it's not always like that consistent look in terms of it. Um, was there any information on just like sales channels, like are more and more, uh, brands still going distribution route or more, you know, clearly, um, you know, there's more direct consumer than ever just because of the, the, the day and age we live on. But like, is there anything, was there any data in that? Yeah. So one thing we looked at were how many, how, what percentage of their sales were through e-commerce versus kind of retail or other channels. And for about 25% of the brands, they had only 10% of their total sales were e-commerce. And then on the flip side, we had about 12% that were e-commerce only. And so a lot of brands we're seeing are launching with e-com um, and then going to retail kind of from there, right? Like e-com yeah. is their, their testing ground. Mm-hmm. Um, but both channels are, are, are challenging in order to be successful. And then when we look at what retail channels the brands are selling in, Uh, The majority are selling at independent grocery and co-ops, followed by kind of natural grocery stores, think Whole Foods or Sprouts, um, instead of, you know, conventional was much lower from some of the the larger brands. But we're definitely seeing this approach of um, having more control of your supply chain, either through e-commerce or working through independent retailers. And that that definitely makes sense from my experience in terms of the... uh... The, the size and, and the, 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 the age of these brands in terms of getting their foot in the door. Um, and then what about um, like sales channels specifically? So like clearly you have on their website, direct consumer through like typically Shopify, you can have the Amazons of the world direct to um, <clears throat> through direct to wholesale or direct to retailers as well, you know, independents or big guys, as well as then distribution. Is there, you know, more and more as we're, we're seeing these other kind of reseller accounts or wholesale accounts like fair is a big one. And then there's like so many small ones that, you know, exist in the day and age. Do you have any, just maybe not even this in the survey, but do you have any kind of insight or, or thoughts uh, around kind of those new ones in terms of what works best or the, the up and coming ones, just because it, it, it seems like, you know, every day a new reseller or a new platform comes out. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I will like, I, I use fair, and they've been um, one of the most dominant players recently. And what they've done really well is develop a tech solution that works really seamlessly, but also they've done a ton of work in onboarding um, retailers onto the platform. And they also do a lot in terms of making it very retailer friendly without compromising brands, right? So a lot of the national distributors, they'll actually offer products on consignment to retailers so that if they don't sell, the retailer can return it, which hurts brands because the brands end up paying for it. But with companies like FAIR, they're able to offer like 60-day payment terms and things that really um, help smaller retailers. And so they've been able to 
onboard thousands of, of um, buyers, which is always helpful for brands. I think that's the problem with a lot of the platforms. I can tell you, even from my own experience, it was very easy um, to get onto a new platform. It was very help or hard to sell off of it. And we had, with T-Squares, we were maybe on three or four platforms and would maybe see one sale a month, right? Like it was minimal and more so a distraction of even having it. Um, and so I do think that those platforms are valuable. I see a lot more brands as well who move their wholesale sales from their own e-commerce site to um, FAIR. And they actually got rid of managing it themselves, even though they could capture more of that margin um, because it was easier just managing it all through sites like FAIR. Um, there's definitely a couple of others and some products do better than others on there. For some reason, I've heard like jerky doesn't sell as well on FAIR just because of their consumer base. And I think um, like they sell more on Maple. I'm not sure exactly why, but just like little interesting things like that. Um, so yeah, I think that that B2B space is really important, um, but it's, it's becoming saturated. Uh, and so it's definitely key as a brand to focus on, you know, the ones that are doing the best for you. Yeah, I've, I've seen it's that old nuance of like, do you want to be spread thin across 10 things or can you just execute at a high level of three things? Like, right, it's just kind of that we see some clients that are all like on eight platforms and to your point, two sales, two sales a month, three sales, four sales, and then a lot. It's like, okay, well, it's kind of distraction and just from just a pure management, you know, operational, even finance accounting. It's like, I got to deal with this and manage that and are you getting paid? So, um, but again, you know, there's a ton of opportunity out there and a ton of different variability in the, on the platform you can choose and everything so as always exciting times you know for anybody and an entrepreneur um, um what is the goal for uh you know food babies kind of growth development kind of long-term plan do you have any kind of you know additional things you're going to offer resources or kind of you know what, where do you want to take it my goal is for anyone who's starting a natural product company to be able to come to food bevy and get those tools and resources for them to be successful and so it's, you know, we have plans to add more connections and resources around um, connecting with angel investors, connecting with retail buyers, um, optimizing your D2C e-commerce platform. Um, these things that can really kind of help make a difference in a brand's experience. And ultimately, um, they kind of fall into two areas. One is like helping founders build relationships and finding both other founders and experts they can trust and also just helping them make more money and save money, right? Like at the end of the day, it comes down to, can you actually help my business grow or can you help me um, save money on other things that I was paying for? And so that's my whole goal is to be very aligned with helping people, you know, build successful businesses on those sides. Love it. Yeah. Big fan of food, baby. And I'm happy that Accompli can support it. Um... And, and, and the brands on it. So um, as we kind of wrap up the, uh, the podcast here, I kind of want to uh, you know, ask my two main questions that I do to everybody uh, on here. So kind of what is from your experience in food bevy and your prior, you know, experience in T-squares, like what does one CPD, CPG industry do? Definitely go with where the opportunity is and ride the wave. So what I mean by that is there are certain consumer trends that are really taking off and growing. A big one is keto over the last five years. And really the core behind that was low carb, low sugar, which has 
had a history in lots of other diets and brands who launched a keto brand, even if they were like half in it, they saw like a million dollars in sales in the first year, right? Like the waves were just so big. So definitely move with consumer trends and don't fight against them. Otherwise it'll be harder time. And then what is one industry don't? Don't chase people who make it difficult to work with you. Right. I heard a lot of brands who email buyers 30 times, they have a call and they're just like, I just can't get the store to take my product. And so they helm them. And eventually the person's like, okay, fine. Like we'll bring you in. It doesn't get easier. It only gets harder. They might, you might get your foot in the door, but they're not going to help you sell your product. And it's going to be a detrimental relationship. And so only, you know, I had an old boss who once said, turn up the gain and turn down the pain, work with the willing, work with the people who want to work with you and don't chase those that don't, right? Like life is too short. Don't work against people who are only going to bring you down. I love that, man. <laughs> that rings through just in personal lives, you know, business relationships, like running a company for a decade, like chasing key network providers, chasing clients, like typically I, you know, within the first several interactions you have with somebody, you get an idea of their response in this timeline, if they're willing to work with you, if they're proactive. And, uh, you know, I, I agree, like life's too short. One of our most constrained resources is time and energy. <laughs> Focus on the positive um, aspects of it. So awesome, Jordan. I love those. Uh, those just as a quick aside too, we we're talking about investment earlier. We yeah. raised two rounds, both times for the investors said yes on the first meeting. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It was essentially yeah. yes on the, it was like, well, let's work things out, but it was yes at the first yeah. meeting. Yeah. The That's people cool. who, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so I was like, like, the people who want to work with you, they'll tell you they want to work yep. with you. Awesome. Well, um, love the chat today, Jordan. Can you give a little uh, info on where we can find Food Bevy? Like if somebody wants to get involved, like just give a little more background on that, please. Yeah, definitely. Check us out at foodbevy.com. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. I'm having conversations like this with founders every day. And so happy to answer any of your questions or, um, you know, helping your business at any, any way as possible. Awesome. Um, anything else to chat on, Jordan? No, I think we're good. Awesome. Well, thanks for your time, Jordan. Again, um, this was uh, episode 19 of the Jordan Buckner from uh, Food Bevy um, on the Month End Podcast. Uh, thanks again, Jordan. You have a good one. Thanks, Brent.